Hello and welcome to the Greenhouse Church Podcast. My name is Benj Gould and I'm the lead pastor. We are all about creating an environment where anyone can follow the way of Jesus. So we hope that this teaching helps you on your way. Well, it's lovely to be here. Uh, Benj sent me a message a little while ago. And he said, Johnny, can you come preach for us uh, on prayer? So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning, prayer. Um, I don't know about you, uh, but prayer is one of those things that throughout my kind of journey with God, I've come back around to again and again. And every time I come back around to it, I'm like, but what do I really think about prayer? Um, let me give you a little, a little bit of a, a window into my journey with prayer. Um, I first learned to pray uh, in an Anglican church in Sydney. Um, I don't know if you guys know what Anglican churches in Sydney are like, uh, but I listened, I listened to my youth leaders pray at youth group uh, as a teenager, and I sort of thought, right, that's how you pray. You pray uh, in, you know, you start your prayers always the same way. You've got to address God correctly. So you start by saying, Lord God, or Heavenly Father, or some variation on that. Uh, and then you use a kind of quiet, soft, solemn voice, showing respect to God. Uh, and then at the end, you always pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Every time it has to finish the same way. Do you guys know those rules? Everyone pray the right way? I thought I prayed the right way, and then what happened was I went to uni, and at uni, I went to a, like a Christian group at the university that had all kinds of different Christians in it, and there were these Christians there, they called themselves Pentecostals. Have you heard of that, that name? Right, they did not follow the prayer rules at all. Like, they were off the wall. Uh, they, would, they would pray uh, loudly in a loud voice, not a solemn voice, uh, they would pray just like a really conversational way. They'd talk to, the, to God the way they talk to me, just in their normal voice. I was like, that's not your prayer voice, that's your normal voice. What's that about? Uh, they would interject in other people's prayers. Someone would be praying and they'd be like, mmm, yeah, amen, amen, mmm, yeah. And I'm like, be quiet, they're trying to pray. What is this about? Um, and I realized that actually... The, the rules of how you should pray are kind of flexible, yeah? Like, there isn't, there isn't just one way to pray. Uh, some people have one style, and some people have another style, and, and it was all kind of up for grabs. So then I was like, well, I can pray any way I like, but I don't know how I like to pray. And so I kind of had this journey and, uh, and kind of this confusion and it made me wonder, I wonder, how did Jesus pray? Like when he was hanging out just with his buddies, uh, you know, maybe they were having a meal and he'd say a prayer, or, or maybe they'd be like having a real prayer meeting about something really serious and significant, or maybe how did he pray when he went, you know, in the Bible it talks about Jesus going off away from everyone else out into the wilderness and just having a prayer time alone. I wonder how he prayed on his own to God? What kind of things would Jesus say? 
What kind of things would he ask for? Um, and you can actually find a little bit of the answer to that if you read your Bibles. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all talk about Jesus and his life, and they all record prayers of Jesus, but it's still not enough detail for me. Like, the gospel writers, they were writing on, like, full-on old-school by hand on, like, papyrus manuscripts that were really expensive, and the ink was really expensive, and these guys didn't have a lot of money, and so they kind of abbreviate and, and summarize everything. And I want the full length of a Jesus prayer in all its detail, in all its glory. And we just don't really have that. But what we do have is what we have this morning. Uh, we have this moment that happens a couple of times in the Gospels where somebody asks that question, Jesus, can you teach me how to pray? What's the right way to pray? Uh, it's in Luke chapter 11, and I'm going to read it to you. Um, you guys, Bench tells me you, you've been working through Luke for a little while, and by a little while I mean like years, and you're up to chapter 11, so good job, guys, really making progress there. Um, no, it's, it's something you're dipping in and out of, which is very cool, um, and so I get to kind of be the dip-in guy, uh, and then I think you're going to kind of progress through chapter 11 for the next little while. Um, so, I'm just going to read verses 1 to 13 of Luke 11, and I don't think it's on the screen, so you'll have to read it in your paper Bible or on your device. All right, here we go. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine has come on a journey, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, it's all, the, the door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't come, get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's a cool story, isn't it? I love that. One of the disciples asks Jesus to teach them how to pray. They've been listening to Jesus like I wish I could, and they've gone, wow, I love the way you pray. Teach us how to pray like you pray. And so Jesus gives them this form of words, uh, which you've probably heard before. Is this familiar to you guys? The Lord's Prayer. 
Uh, it's very, very famous. Um, has anyone noticed that there's, it's familiar, but it's not the same as the kind of official Lord's Prayer? <laughs> anyone anyone kind of like, where are the missing bits? Um, there's actually two versions of the Lord's Prayer in the Bible. Uh, there's this one, and there's one in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, if you're a Bible nerd, you can flick over and compare and contrast. Um, they are pretty similar, but the one in Matthew is a little bit longer. Uh, and then Christians over the ages have added even more to it than that, um, added a little bit on the end. Um, I mean, some, some traditions have added stacks to it, um, and you're probably more familiar with that. But don't get too freaked out that it's like, the Bible's got mistakes in it. There's bits missing. Um, I reckon that Jesus probably used this as a kind of teaching tool on at least two occasions, maybe even more. Um, it's kind of like he's using it as a, as a pattern, as a model of prayer. And you could pray it just as it is, these exact words, no more, no less. Or maybe the Matthew version, no more, no less. Or maybe the Matthew version with the bit on the end, or whatever you like, as it is. Or you could kind of use it like a framework, like scaffolding to build a longer prayer on it. It kind of gets you on the right track. Uh, interestingly, you might notice that all the pronouns, just making sure everyone knows what a pronoun is, all the pronouns are plural. He keeps saying, us, give us our daily bread, forgive us our sins. Um, the theologian Leon Morris points out uh, that this is a prayer that can be prayed privately, but in its essence, it is a corporate prayer. So, what do we got? We've got a prayer that you can use as is, or you can use as a model for your own prayers. We've got a prayer that you can pray on your own, or you can pray corporately with your brothers and sisters. Um, it's versatile. It's useful. Um, I do think that Jesus did kind of see it as a, as a pattern, as a basis to base your prayers around, uh, that it's, it's very short, especially here in Luke, um, and it's kind of like, here's your starting point. Here's your list of topics. You can pray your own thing from each category, but here are kind of six helpful topics. So we're going to go through those topics one at a time, and kind of look at them each. But before we do, twist, uh, we're going to skip over and look at these two little sections that come after. Uh, so the first one is the friend at midnight, which I think I have a slide for. Oh, on the ball. The friend at midnight. I love this. This is like a funny, humorous parable. I think Jesus intended this to be a bit of a chuckler. Uh, so if you had a little chuckle, it doesn't make you a bad Christian. Um, it's intentional. Jesus is kind of telling this funny story, which for them made more sense than for us, because they lived in a, a hospitality-shaped culture uh, in the first century there. And there was this thing where if you went to someone's house, or if you went to a place, you would go to someone's house in that place. Uh, if you went somewhere to go out for a meal, you wouldn't go to a restaurant because they didn't have any. You wouldn't go to a pub. You'd go to a house. Uh, if you went to another town as a traveler and needed somewhere to stay, you wouldn't stay in the motel. You wouldn't go on your phone and get an Airbnb. You'd go to someone's house. Everything was kind of house-based. And so someone comes 
to this guy's house in the middle of night, at midnight, and says, oh, sorry, I, I was running a bit late. I just arrived. I'm here for a meal. I'm here to stay. And they're like, oh, no, this was unexpected. What am I going to do? Got no food. I'll ask the neighbors. So they go around to the neighbor's house at midnight, banging on the door, wake up, wake up, I need to borrow some bread. Uh, and they're like, oh, I'm in bed, my kids and I are all asleep, we're not going to get up in the middle of the night to help you, like, I can't be bothered. Um, I feel like that even at, like, seven in the morning, let alone midnight, um, don't want to get out of bed. And Jesus says, look, this grumpy guy in bed, he's not going to get up and give you bread because he's your friend, because he's your mate or even because it's the right thing to do. But he will get up because of your shameless audacity, uh, which is, you know, he'll be so impressed by the fact that you had the audacity to ask and so shocked that he'll get up and give you what you want. And the point that Jesus is making, this is one of those, like, parables with a twist. Uh, he's not saying that's what God is like when you pray. He's actually saying this is not what God is like. He's saying, if a bad friend would relent and say, oh, fine, I'll get up and give you what you need, how much more would our God get straight out of bed and come and give you what you need straight away? That's why he says immediately after in verse 9, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock in the middle of the night and the door will be open to you. This is kind of the foundation of prayer for Jesus, is to say, how willing is God our Father to give us what we ask for? Much more than we might give Him credit for. And then, He talks to the fathers. He says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So there's another how much more kind of comparison. He's saying, you human fathers, you lousy human fathers, even you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven know how to give you good gifts? God will not give you something that is bad for you. If you ask for a good thing, He won't give you a bad thing instead. God loves to give good gifts, most especially, He says, the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is to say, the favorite gift that God loves to give His children is Himself, His presence. So, let's have a look, line by line. Let's do that bit of a line by line preaching. You guys like that? I don't know what you're used to here. Um, I like a bit of line by line. Um, I think it's helpful in this prayer from Jesus. So the first thing Jesus says, when you pray, say this, Father. That's the first line. 
It's a short one, but a good one. Um, this is not a formal address. It's kind of unfortunate that when we think of calling our dad, our human father's father, it sounds really formal and like distant. Like I never call my dad father. I call him dad. Or sometimes I call him granddad because I've got kids and that's what they call him. But I never call him father. It sounds really formal, doesn't it? And Jesus is actually getting at the opposite thing. Like all these Jewish guys and girls, these disciples that Jesus is teaching, when they think of God, they think of God in this kind of formal way. Uh, so much so that they wouldn't even say God's name. God had told them His name was Yahweh, and they wouldn't use that word because that was too familiar, not formal enough. And here is Jesus saying, you've got to call God Dad. Um, in fact, Jesus would have used the word Abba, uh, which was the Aramaic word equivalent of Dad. Um, this is intimate, familiar and kind of revolutionarily simple, just dad. But then, the next line is, hallowed be your name, uh, which is, does anyone know what hallowed means? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> uh, it's a weird word. Um, it's basically saying, may your name be, be holy. May people treat you as you deserve to be treated. This is a, a note of, of worship and adoration. We've just been worshipping with our songs. Uh, this is the same idea. It's acknowledging God's awesomeness and otherness above us. So you see that these two lines kind of work in contrast, in tandem. To open with this intimate Father and then immediately say, May your name be holy. Hallowed be your name. And then those two things kind of take us into the third line. Your kingdom come. This is kind of the outworking of the, the thoughts of the first two lines. It's kind of beautiful the way it all links together. That the kingdom, this is the thing that Jesus has been on about for the last ten chapters. This is Jesus' whole deal. It's everything he's teaching about. It's what all his miracles are getting at. It's everything in his whole way of being, his whole way of life. The kingdom is the, the rule of God in our hearts and in our lives as we subject ourselves to him. If he is the king and we are the subjects, uh, then that, that kind of idea of worship and adoration kind of found, finds its practical outworking in this idea of the kingdom coming. It's kind of an, an outward-looking heart of worship. It's a growing and a shaping of ourselves and a growing and a shaping of the world around us. And as we do things in His name, as we do things for God as an act of worship to Him, He becomes more and more present in the world around us, and in our own hearts. And we know that one day, this kingdom will fully come. That when Jesus returns, the kingdom will be made complete. 
And in that act of final, perfect, completed vision, that's the thing that we're looking toward and the thing that we're kind of asking for even now. Like we're asking for Him to come again and bring the kingdom in its fullness and we're also asking for little tastes of that future to be made manifest in our lives right now. And so, with a view to our lives right now, the next line comes along. In fact, the next couple of lines are kind of turning from the things that we pray for God's sake now to the things that we pray for our own sake, although there's a lot of overlap between the two. (laughs) So, these next three things are, firstly, give us each day our daily bread. Uh, This is a prayer of dependence, daily dependence on God. I don't know if you guys know the story uh, in the Old Testament in Numbers about uh, the Israelites wandering in the desert, and they're hungry, and they're grumbling, and they're complaining, and they ask God for bread, and miraculously, God gives them this bread-like substance that none of them have ever seen before. And they say, what is this stuff? So they call it, what is it? Um, Which they shortened to manna. And manna comes down from heaven each day, and God specifically says to them, only gather enough manna for today and no more. Just enough to feed you and your family for one day. It's all over the ground, it's everywhere, like dew in the morning. Just gather enough for today and no more. Because I want you to depend on me for tomorrow, tomorrow. And then to depend again the next day, and then again the next day. Jesus is kind of calling his disciples to have that same attitude, to only ask for today's grace, and to trust that tomorrow when we ask for more, we'll get more, and then the next day, and then the next day. A constant life of constant dependence on God's provision. Then the next one is, forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Uh, Now, some people have taken this to mean that God is only going to forgive your sins if you're willing to forgive someone else first, like it's a condition. Um, I don't know if that's quite right. I think actually what's going on here is that it's another one of those how much more things that we looked at in those two parables after. How much more willing would God be in His infinite love and mercy, how much more willing is He to forgive than we could be. And yet, so if I can forgive someone, how much more can God forgive me? And yet, I think there is something to it, this idea that there's something about an unforgiving heart, not that God isn't willing to forgive me when I'm unforgiving, but actually that I'm unwilling to receive forgiveness from God. He's happy to forgive me, but I'm not happy for him to forgive me. On some level, an unforgiving person is unwilling 
to forgive their own enemies and cannot imagine a God who could forgive them. I think I've met people like that. People whose hearts have become so hard with all of the grievances that they carry around about the people who've hurt them that they can't believe in a forgiving God anymore. And they only believe in a vengeful God who wants to judge and smite and not in a God who wants to forgive. They can't connect with the forgiving heart of God because there's no forgiveness in their own heart anymore. And so perhaps Jesus anticipates that this line in this prayer is a prayer that only a forgiving person could even bring themselves to truly pray. Or perhaps he wants to imply a a note of challenge. If you won't forgive others, how would you dare expect God to forgive you? How much more does God have to forgive you for than you have to forgive that person? It's a lot of potential readings there. I think they're all kind of true. I think it works on multiple levels. There's a lot of challenge. And there's a bit of challenge in the next line too. The last line, lead us not into temptation. Again, it's kind of like the daily bread thing. It's about recognizing our weaknesses, recognizing our, our need for God's provision, but a different kind of provision, isn't it? Of saying, um, I, I know in my heart, like I've just asked for forgiveness, like I know in my heart that I get this stuff wrong and I need help because I'm just going to get it wrong again and again and again. We have this propensity to follow our own desires instead of living God's way. And God is inviting us to acknowledge that, to own up to that and ask for His help. God isn't saying, you've got to get this right. How dare you get it wrong all the time? He's put in this very, very short prayer a whole line there inviting us to ask for help to not be ashamed, but to boldly ask for God's help. Now, I want to note something at this point. There are these three things that Jesus is inviting us to pray kind of for God, those first three lines, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And then the next three lines are kind of that God is inviting us to pray for ourselves, give, give us our daily bread, forgive us our sins, lead us not into temptation. And those three things, are they kind of the top three things that you ask God for for yourself in your prayer time, do you reckon? Asking for God's provision, asking for God's forgiveness, and asking for God's help with your temptation to go the wrong way. I'm kind of challenged by that. In writing this, in preparing this, I was really challenged that I don't think they're my top three, or at least if they are, they're not equal. I think I spend a lot of time on the first one and not enough time on the other two. I spend a lot of time asking God to provide for the things that I need, but I don't think I spend enough time thinking about sin. That's kind of a word we don't even say, isn't it? Let alone think about 
to ask God for forgiveness or help with temptation. And I was trying to work out why that is. Like, what is it in my life or in my heart, or maybe what is it in our culture as 21st century Aussies that we kind of don't want to go there? Um, I've got some ideas. I think potentially uh, sin and guilt are things that our culture says we shouldn't focus on. That if we focus too much on guilt, it makes us feel ashamed, it makes us feel down on ourselves, it wrecks our self-esteem. It's bad for us. And I think, I think there's truth to that, but I think there's a danger in taking that too far. We get to this point where we kind of think, I'm just not going to think about that stuff at all. I'm going to give myself a, a free pass, a get-out-of-jail-free card on that whole topic. I'm just going to live my life with all of its mess. I'm going to make a mess, but everyone else does, so it doesn't really matter. I think a lot of, a lot of Aussies I meet think that way. They kind of go, yeah, I messed up, yeah, I stuffed up, but not a big deal. And I think that God is inviting us to live a different lifestyle, to think a different way. It's not, not just to kind of say, Jesus died on the cross to forgive us, so he doesn't really mind. It's not that bad. It's not a big deal. I'm not really doing any harm. When actually, we are. These things, these mistakes that we made, if, if you really think about it, if you really look at it honestly, if face up to the, the ramifications of the mistakes that we make, which is hard to do, I know, but when you do that, it's heartbreaking. And you think, oh, this is not how I want to be. This is not what I want to do. And what this prayer is doing is inviting us in that moment of acknowledgement, to bring all of that to God. In fact, this prayer is all about acknowledging what God has told us is true. It's all about bringing our whole selves to Him. You know, it begins by saying, Father, and, and coming into that intimate presence. It's all about acknowledging who He is, that he has a plan and a purpose with his kingdom work. And when we fall short of that, when we, when we dishonor the name by being a bad Christian, but when we dishonor the kingdom by living for different values than the kingdom's values, when we follow our own desires instead of desiring kingdom stuff, that needs to change. It's forgivable. That's why we're invited to ask for forgiveness, because it is forgivable. But there's a process there. There's a moment of realization and a moment of asking for change, that things would get better. In all these things, we need to remember these two things about God, about prayer. They're the two things that we looked at in these verses that come after the prayer, the explanation that Jesus gives. The first one is that God 
is willing. He is not like the grumpy guy at midnight who won't open the door. God is willing to open the door. And you can see it here. He invites us to pray these things. He instructs us to pray these things. It's not, you know, you're not being presumptuous by asking for this stuff. Jesus teaches us to pray with these bold words. And taught that funny story about the friend at midnight to remind us that God is always ready to answer, always ready to help. God is willing, so pray. And secondly, God is good. He is a good father, better than any human father, a father who delights in giving good gifts to his children. God isn't stingy or cruel. He doesn't withhold himself from us or refuse to be near to us. He doesn't look at us and say, you're such a bad person, I'm going to keep my distance. I'm going to make you suffer until you get it right. He loves to give his children good gifts, most especially the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of his own presence of himself near to us. God invites us to draw near. God wants you to be near to him. He wants to hear from you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to comfort you. He wants to equip you. He wants to strengthen you. Now, the elephant in the room with prayer is often that you've got some prayer that you've prayed a thousand times and it hasn't been answered. And you hear me saying all these great things about prayer and you sit there going, yeah, but but I need this, and God won't give it to me. And you say God's not stingy, and you say He's not cruel, and you say He doesn't withhold Himself, but He is withholding Himself. I'm living it right now. What are you talking about? These promises are kind of complicated when you're stuck in that situation. And I think it's worth noticing that the greatest gift the gift that Jesus names when he talks about the good father is to say, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The promise is not that you will get the thing you ask for. The promise is that you will get a good gift, better than the thing you ask for, not worse than it. And the, the greatest gift God can give you is himself. So yes, maybe God won't give you the miracle you're asking for. Maybe he will. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he won't. I'm just saying maybe. Sometimes he won't. Maybe he won't pluck you out of that crappy situation you're stuck in. Maybe he will. But again, the promise is not that he definitely will. Maybe he won't. But what is the promise? What is, what is it that we read here in clear, this clear and wonderful promise? The promise is that whatever else happens, however else God chooses to answer that prayer, whatever is the case, he is always willing 
and ready to respond. And he is always good. God is the perfect, loving Father. So then the impulse to pray, that the reason for praying, the thing that should motivate you to pray and to spend time in prayer all the time. It isn't to twist God's arm. It's not to convince Him. It's not to, to use these words like a, like a magic spell that's going to make God do the thing you want Him to because you used the right words. He is already willing, and He is already good. He doesn't need convincing. The impulse, the motivation to pray is that He loves you already, and He wants to hear from you. He wants to be near to you. He wants to know what you're experiencing and what you're going through. He can and He does intervene in our lives. And on the occasion that He doesn't intervene the way you think He should, He is still willing and He is still good. So let's pray.